authentic plan, the purity of gold, the final sanded product that God has for us. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be that church. Do you want to be that church? Do you want to be the church that goes further than any church has gone before? Do you want to be the church that says, uh, you know, where most churches would say five pieces of sandpaper is enough. You go, let's do another five. Some of you are like, no, <laughs> I really don't. But I'm convinced that by the end of my sermon this morning, you'll want to. You'll want to. So let's do that. Father, we pray this morning that your name would be glorified. Holy Spirit, that you would come and do what you do best and glorify the name of Jesus. That this morning, as the name of Jesus is glorified, people would be set free. People would be refined. People would find joy, hope, love, life, truth. And that truth would set them free, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So good. Thanks, team. They're sounding pretty sharp, hey? They're getting, you know, good time. Again, you can always get better. I don't say that as an insult. I say that to go, like, as, music, as musos. We all had to face this idea last week of going, like, is it not good enough? Just here would be great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use my space. I can go for It's like stepping into a 3D world, you know? It's like coming out of the... We'll stick with 3D movie, because if it gets 4D, that's when you start. You would go to the 4D movies at the Gold Coast, and that's when you get sprayed with stuff. And so we'll just... We won't go 4D. We'll stick with 3D. Next week. Are you away next week? Is that what you... No, just... You want to bring a squirty bottle? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> you do you, bro. I'm like, if you do it, it's not me. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It would be a bad idea. <laughs> Don't do it. I'll get in trouble. It's <laughs> so I got a text at 6 a.m. this morning, 5 a.m. I don't know. What's the time? You've got people who are probably due to turn up in about seven minutes and go, why is everyone already sitting? I always love that. We'll just let them come in. It's okay. Life is hard. It's... My favorite one is when you go back in time. No, at the end of daylight saving, when you go back an hour and people still manage to be an hour late for church, and you go, how? <laughs> oh, I thought, like, I got confused. It's not how it works. You should, if anything, been here an hour early. <laughs> but people still manage. So, um, but I'm looking forward to having a little bit of sunshine uh, at nighttime, although it's a little bit terrifying because bedtime is when it's dark, and so we'll navigate that. Man, we've been having some weather. <laughs> Everyone's house still there this morning? Anyone lose a house last night, just blow away? Or anyone lose a trampoline, lose a tree? No? Good. Amen. Perfect. So I got this text at 6 a.m., from, that's where I was going, from Dave saying that he was up in hospital, and so I'd love us to be praying for him this morning. Uh, he said that he had some pain in his kidneys, um, so he wasn't able to be here um, to preach. And, and man, we're so waiting for that. Eh? We've been waiting like all year to hear Dave Zahigal preach. Um, the other one I'm waiting for is Pam. Pam's been on the roster like three times, and then, I don't know, we keep going home or something. It's just So I don't even know why I've got my iPad out, because I don't have notes this morning, because I got a message saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be there. I'm like, well, that's all right, because I've had a message that I've been brewing on for a while, but it's not written yet. It's just been in my spirit. 
So I'm going to be a little bit all over the place, but it's going to be good. It's going to be uh, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to say that in church, but Quentin Tarantino is like my favorite director. And what I love is his capacity and his ability to tell a story that starts at the end and then in the middle and then jumps around to seven different places and then you come to the end and go, ah, that's how I preach. So there you go. We'll arrive at the conclusion and it'll all become clear. But in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, we know, for I alone know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you. I'm giving Bo time to get it up. Can you get it up? Is that, no? <laughs> Too hard on you? That's all right. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13, I believe it is, says this. When you seek me, hey, nope, you're teasing me now. It's like someone sneezed on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to go in those days. When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Other translations say, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And this year has been a year of seeking. I still continue to laugh, and people continue to laugh at me when I say our theme for 2020 was off the map. And that's pretty much just where we live now. No, we're so far from the map, we don't even know what the map was. But there's been this year of seeking, but it's, it's about going, what are we going to seek for? You know, because there were times where, you know, when, the, when everything would get thrown up in the air and get changed again, and you'd be looking for answers, you'd be looking for a plan, you'd be looking for a program. And it was like in my prayer time, Jesus said, what are you looking for? And I was like, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. So Jesus said, is that what you're supposed to be looking for? No, sir. <laughs> you come back to this place. And so going, what does it look like? And, and so 2000, you, if you've heard the sermons over the last couple of weeks, if you haven't, I'm going to recap just a little bit for you. I, I, in that providence of pain, I talked about how this year has been an uncomfortable year in many ways for me personally because God has put his finger on issues in my life and gone, we're going to deal with this today. Why? Because we're going to go to level six sandpaper. We're going to go, we, this is refining. This is what we're doing. Beck spoke about the same thing. I can't help but thinking maybe God's doing a work a little bit similar on all of us. And so I've been on this journey again of, of, of coming back, really. My favorite word, my favorite value in all of our values is authenticity. Authenticity. And so I come back again and again to what does it look like to have an authentic faith? What does it look like to have an authentic church? What does it look like to have an authentic marriage? What does it look like to have an authentic youth program? What does it look like to have authenticity at the heart of an authentic relationship with Jesus? And so that's been, again, that when, when that's what you want and that's what you start looking for, God goes, well, let's do it. And then you go, why did I sign up for this? You ever, like anyone, you ever had? Okay, I, I know when you, I know it's back first time. I know you, like, like you're not used to having to talk back to the screen. But oh, I can do talk. I can do heckling. I've missed my hecklers. We can, we can have a little bit of that. Just, I just need to know that I'm doing okay, okay? I'm, I'm human too. I'm working through some insecurities. I just need to know I'm doing okay. Help me out. Help me help you help me help that. And... No, they just happen anytime Bo and Lara sit next to each other up at that computer. That's what that's about. It's... <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, going to get myself in trouble. So, this pursuit of authenticity, what does it look like? This pursuit of authenticity. And I've got a couple of verses that I'm just kind of, Bo won't have time to get them all. 
Um, Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, come with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is a reasonably well-known part of Scripture, at least parts of it. The Lord's Prayer is in there. It's immediately after Matthew chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of these... Um, yeah, it just, as it goes through, in fact, I think it's still part of the Sermon on the Mount, technically. Uh, let's go from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. I'm reading from the Passion Translation this morning, which will be different to what you've got, maybe, and different to what's on the screen, but I just like the way that it puts this. It says, examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your heavenly Father. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people like the hypocrites do in the streets and in the marketplace. They have already received their reward. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your Father who sees all that you do will reward you openly. I love that last verse. Give, let's say we take out the middle part there. Give secretly, and God will reward you openly. God rewards openly what we do secretly. But I, the, the part of this verse that I want to really focus on in the middle, without it being a, becoming a real negative thing, is verse 2. When you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people like the hypocrites in the street and in the marketplace, they have already received their reward. Another translation puts it this way. If you do your good deeds to be seen by man, you have already received your reward in full. In other words, if you did something to be seen by people and you get seen by people, mission accomplished, right? If I do something, if I get up here and preach, and I know I've just been teasing you about shouting back to me and giving me a little bit of feedback, but if I get up here just to get your applause and I get your applause... Job done. I'll pay you later too. But, but if, that, if that's the only reason I do it, and that's what happens, you know, and you stand at the end like Maximus from Gladiator, are you not entertained? <laughs> if that's what we're here to do, tick. And yet God seems, to, what Jesus seems to be saying is that we, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's not what's supposed to be our motivation. What we should be doing is trying to do this in secret so that God can reward us openly. But I think the part about that is to do with authenticity. See, because if I, if I give to receive praise, I'm not giving at all. That's a transaction. That's a, I'm actually doing this in order to get something. I'm telling someone that I like their haircut so that they then go, you're such a nice person. I go, thank you. And then I go away feeling good. And I've received my reward in full if that's what I want. But Jesus seems to encourage us to dig deeper. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13, which we read before. When you seek me with all your heart, that's when you'll find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, that's when you'll find me. What is it that we're really seeking? And so God keeps bringing me back to this again and again and again, going, what is it you want? What is it you want? What is it you want? And I feel like, again, God would bring us as Blenheim Baptist Church. What is it you want? 
I know what it is some of you want, because I know what happened when we couldn't have it. But what is it you want? What is it we want? And I feel like God's bringing us back again and again and again to this question. What is it we want? Matthew chapter 13. Let's jump forward a little bit. We're going to go from verse 45. I think. 44. Again, reading from the Passion Translation. Heaven's kingdom realm. Well, the kingdom of God can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed. Sorry, let me put the right emphasis on that. Because of uncovering such treasure, treasure, Trevor. <laughs> kingdom of God is like a man who found treasure in a field. It's... Oh, we are going to have to get back into the swing of things here. <laughs> because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Heaven's kingdom realm was also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and its exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. And so this pursuit of when you seek me with all your heart seems to also be about abandoning something else. You know, when Jesus called disciples and followers, there's a story where one, he says, come and follow me. And he goes, first, can I go back and do this and do that and do this and do that? And God goes, no. Jesus says, no. Come on. Anyone who turns their head back from the path. In other words, part of this coming to follow me is about abandonment to something else. And we don't like that part. We really like, can I have Jesus and add, you know, it's like, would you like fries with that? Would you like Jesus with that? Yes, I would. In fact, I'll take two. And if you get really excited, you go, I just take all of them. And just, you know, I take that religion and this religion, and it's all the same. But Jesus says, you will find me. But, you know, in Matthew chapter 29, 11, God says, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. We live in a world where any kind of self-denial is seen as negative now. Any kind of self-denial. Why would you repress yourself? Why would you do that? But yet Jesus says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. The story in Mark chapter 10 or Matthew chapter 19, if we wanted to stay in the same book. Let's stay in the same book. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. <laughs> You'll like this. Again, I'm reading from the Passion, the, the passion Translation. The story of the rich young ruler. It says, Then a wealthy teenager approached Jesus and bowed before him. We got any wealthy teenagers here this morning? Anything? <laughs> then a wealthy teenager approached Jesus and bowed before him saying wonderful teacher is there a good work is there a good work I have to do to obtain eternal life in other words what do I have to do to obtain eternal life I've got all this stuff but I don't have that I see what you're peddling Jesus and I want it yeah see this guy saw what Jesus had he goes I want that and Jesus I, I love this Jesus answered, why would you call me wonderful or why would you call me good? God alone is good. And why would you ask what good work you need to do? Keep the commandments and you'll enter into the life of God. Which ones, he asked. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and those around you as you love yourself. And in verse 20, 
the wealthy teenagers is. <coughs> but I've always obeyed every one of those laws without fail, the young man replied. What else do I lack? I love the way Bill Johnson describes this. He says, Jesus starts, you know, this, this rich young ruler, this wealthy teenager comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must, oh, he says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Now, of course, Jesus is testing him. Because that's, that's the key to eternal life, is identifying that Jesus is God. So it's, it's almost like the first, before Jesus brings up the law, he comes back to, he goes, Jesus is like a riddle master. He asks good questions. And so this guy comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? As if he's almost waiting for that. So he goes, well, because I believe you're the son of God. Then you got it. And yet he goes, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. And then we had this, and Bill Johnson says it this way. By verse 20, the rich young ruler basically says, Jesus says, no one's good but God. And he goes, me too. <laughs> like, that's his thing. I've done all that. Me too. I'm good too. And so, this, so Jesus goes, okay, verse 21, if you really want to be perfect, if you really want to be righteous, go immediately and sell in everything you own. Give all your money to the poor and your treasure will be transferred into heaven. <laughs> then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. When the wealthy teenager heard these words, or the young man heard these words, he walked away angry, for he was extremely wealthy. See, when you're not a wealthy teenager, any unwealthy teenagers here this morning? Hey, you look so happy about no. <laughs> It's easy to give away that little bit because it's like, oh, well, what was I? But when you've got a lot, it says he goes away angry because he said, so in other words, his whole thing is, I want Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, then let's do the abandon thing. And he goes, I don't want to abandon. And Jesus goes, okay, bye. <laughs> and so I think there's this message somewhere in this refining, in this authentic process that I keep coming back to, you know, in Jeremiah 29, 13, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Sometimes seeking him with all of our heart means choosing to stop seeking something else. Sometimes seeking him with all of our heart means to, to go, I'm not going to pursue that anymore. I'm not going to pursue that anymore. I'm going to cut that off from my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we don't like that part of the gospel, really. And we've done a whole lot in our life and in our church to just, and in the history of the church to just kind of chisel that bit slowly off the end. Now, some of you are probably thinking, sitting here this morning, going, man, first Sunday back in church in a long time, couldn't you have encouraged us, told us we've done a great job, told us, we, you know, instead you come in with the let's sacrifice, let's chisel, let's do all this sort of thing. And that, this is where I want to, like, the thing that the rich young ruler failed to miss in this is, is, is that verse where it says, Jesus said to him, if you really want to be perfect, go immediately and sell everything you own. Give all your money to the poor and your treasure will be transferred into heaven. Then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. I want, I want it to be really important. And this, this last part of the message this morning where I'm going is, is the kicker because I want to get you excited about something. Because this is not a rebuke. It's an invitation. This morning, we're not sitting with a God who wants to give us a rebuke. We're sitting with a God who wants to give us an invitation. Who wants to invite us into something. This authenticity. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 was another one I was going to read earlier in relation to Jeremiah 29. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, The Lord scans to and fro, His eyes scan to and fro across the whole world, looking for eyes that are perfectly towards Him. 
looking for churches, looking for Christians who, who are willing to say, I will be that person. I will be that. I will give up. I will sacrifice. And here's where the challenge started to get to me. Here's, here's what I've been wrestling with. So, so again, I'm not sitting here going, I got this all together. I'm sitting here going, I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling with God. Hopefully he doesn't put my hip out. But here's what I discovered. The, uh, what's the word? The despair, shall I say, of the modern church is that we have rewarded the best talkers. And so we've created a culture of talking. And I say as a leader that there are times where I have fallen into rewarding the best talkers rather than those whose hearts are perfectly towards him. You know, I was asked to speak to a number of young adults last year in Invercargill, and, and it was like, what do you want to speak, to? What, what do you want me to speak about? They're like, oh, well, you work it out. And so I came in and, and, and spoke to these sort of young adults, teenagers, they were all in that, you know, and we, you know, and you could see it, because you get rewarded for, for forgive the expression, brown-nosing the leadership. <laughs> and we, don't do it, it's not worth it. Again, if that's what you're trying to do, if your goal is to get recognized by someone, if your goal is to get endorsed, to get credentials, to look good, to, be, to have someone stand you up here and go, look at this example of the Christian faith. If that's your goal, reward in full. You can have it. But I feel like the invitation, man, it's getting quiet in here. I need to. <laughs> but the invitation to God is to go somewhere deeper to that. And here's, here's where I feel like, someone asked me recently, what is the point, what is the difference that you hope for Blenheim Baptist Community Church? Because I keep coming back to I had three prophetic words after I started here. And they were, oh, God is calling you not just to do something different for Blenheim Baptist Church, but something different for the church. And people say to me, well, what is that? What is that? Name it. And for ages, I couldn't name it. And so you sing really silly, going, we're going to be different. And every church says that, right? We all say that. Churches have been saying, we're going to be different for like 2,000 odd years. <laughs> and then we just try to do the same thing as what's happening down the road. The same thing as what's happening over there. The same thing as what's happening over there. And so, you know, you go, God, what are you saying? And then you get into this place. And, and so you go, oh, we're back in level two. What are we going to do? Well, I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. I know what people would expect me to do. But God, I think you might be saying, do this. Will we follow him? I have a friend who has a Rolex. He's a wealthy teenager. <laughs> He's... And everything about it looks like a Rolex, sparkles like a Rolex. It's got Rolex written on the front of it. It's got diamonds around the outside of it. And everybody's really impressed with this Rolex that my friend has. Except me, because I know it's a fake. Because he told me. You know, it's one of those ones you, you get off the airport at certain places and certain international transfers, and there's those guys with coats. I buy a watch. I got watches. That's where he got it. He got it in some airport in Thailand or Bangkok or Hong Kong or, I don't know, somewhere. I don't remember his story. But he's got this watch. And everybody thinks, oh, man, you got a Rolex. You must be loaded. You must be a wealthy teenager. And it sparkles like a Rolex. And it, the diamonds look like diamonds, except they're probably cubic zirconiums, you know. But it looks good. And it, the only reason he's got it is for the look. And amen. People go, oh, you got a Rolex. He goes, yeah. I'm going to come back to that story because here's what I've learned and I've had to wrestle with myself as a young Christian 
I've been in a number of different churches uh, or a number of different church environments, whether it's been being a member there, whether it's attending a conference there, whether it's doing what, you know, I've been to all these different places. I've had the privilege of sitting in different, under different leadership and different things. I've seen good, I've seen, you know, I've seen bad, I've seen everything in between. Pastor Aaron, who was here, used to say the good, the bad, and the rugby, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's like I've seen all of these expressions of church. And there's one thing that I have learned, and I don't say this for any other reason than it was confronting to me. Because of all the different environments that I've sat in, in terms of a Christian, in Christian environments, I've seen the authentic move of God and I've seen the counterfeit move of God. Now, most of you probably know what I'm talking about because some, at some stage you've sat in an authentic move of God and you've sat in a counterfeit move of God. And what I've learned is that, you know, um, my mentor Ross Bambury always used to say that the only reason someone can cause you to take a fake is because the, the real exists. Like, if I tried to peddle you a $2 note this morning, none of you would take it. Because there's no such thing, Shannon. You can't sell me a counterfeit $2 note, because I know I don't even have to look at it. I could hold it behind my back and go, you want a $2 note? You go, no, I don't want a $2 note. But if I pulled out a counterfeit $5 note, I mean, who wants a $5 note? There's a chance that you might go, Maybe. You might go, it's $5. If I pull out a $100 note, if I pull out two $200 notes, three $100 notes, we're getting... Shannon, just stay with the one illustration. Keep it simple. You're a simple man. It's okay. It's just... (laughs) And there's a point where you might go, actually, maybe I do want that. I at least want a closer look at that. And you go, and you look at it, and... (laughs) Smells like money feels like money. You know, I used to work in the bank, and the way that they get you to be familiar with counterfeit money is not by handling counterfeit money. It's by handling real money. The more you feel, the more you know, the more you experience of real money, the faster you'll identify a fake. Simply by holding what's real. And so the solution, the, 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 the remedy for counterfeit Christianity, the remedy for the, the, the counterfeit move of God, which we all have experienced in some point or time. And I think at times we've all been guilty, and I include myself in this, of just giving God a hand. I'm just going to help him out. You know, oh, turn up on Sunday morning and, the, you know, oh, those songs aren't quite, I'm just going to give him a, I'm just going to, come on, we just need to press in and we just need to, you know, I'll just give these people a kick up the pants and then, then the Holy Spirit will move. So, <laughs> um, but I don't want the counterfeit. I want the authentic. And I hope you want the authentic move of God. But here was the challenge that God put to me that caused me to really confront myself was where I, I, I realized, based on what I've seen, that I'm reasonably confident. Like, I, I know that if I wasn't doing this job, I'd probably be in sales. Like, my job is to sell things. Right? Sell the vision of the church. Sell the, you know, my job is to get everybody excited for where we're going. And what I've learned in that is that from what I've seen, I think it would be e- reasonably easy to turn up here on a Sunday morning and whoop up a counterfeit move of God. Play the right songs. Say the right words. Sprinkle a little bit of anticipation here. And, you know, you just, and some of you maybe have been in these environments. And here's the thing that scared me. Is that me? Did I breathe out? Or was it the roof caving in? 
I felt like God said to me, not only could you turn up and do that, but some of my people would be happy with it. Some of my people would be happy with it. Now, I'm not naming names. I'm not looking. But I'm caught, I, want my, I don't want you to look at the person across from you or whatever. I want you to look within yourself and go. If the Bible says, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. To go, would I be happy with a counterfeit? Would I be happy with something that sounded good and looked good and sparkled like a Rolex? Because I tell you a story. If I had a free Rolex, I don't. But if I had a genuine Rolex, diamond encrusted logo, sparkle, gold, whatever, you know, and I had it and I went, I want to give this away. You know who I wouldn't give it to? The guy who's happy with the knockoff. The guy who's happy with the knockoff. And I felt like God said to me, do you want an authentic move of the Spirit in your church? Do you want an authentic move of God in your marriage? Do you want an authentic move of God in your life? I'm like, yes, God. He goes, get rid of the knockoff. Because those who want to be seen have received their reward in full. Those who want it to sparkle so that others will see it. Those who want it so that other people will look and go, wow have received their reward in full. Those who want a big church, an exploding church, a, a church where we all come and we all dress flash and we all you know, have our hair immaculate. And, and I'm not knocking that. And I, like, I'm wearing a shirt, not because I have to, but because I like to. But if it becomes about that, and that becomes the main thing, to the point that when someone walks in the door who's in a hoodie and ripped jeans and whatever, that we go, I don't think you're going to belong here. Or to the point, shall I go one step further? Forget what our reaction. Maybe we look at them and go, you're so welcome here. But they walk in and go, I don't belong here. Because if that's what we want, we've received our reward in full. You all look great. <laughs> Amen. Woo. We tried this morning. Some of us had to try really hard because we lost an hour. And like it takes time to look awake. <laughs> but I feel like God is calling us into this challenge. And so again, the answer to that question is, what kind of church? What's the difference, that thing that's supposed to make you different? And again, I'm not knocking on other churches. I just, I, I couldn't be less interested in the politics. Because I know what God's called us to. And we'll work with them, and we'll bless them, and they'll bless us, and we'll build the kingdom of God together. But this place, this place that, that God has asked me and, and you and us to be responsible for, I feel like the call of God is let's pursue authenticity, which means let's get rid of the knockoff. And when we get rid of the knockoff, when we strip ourselves, when we go through that refining process, that sandpaper process, that I tell you, there are people already queued outside the door. And I know this because we're getting them on Wednesdays. There's people coming on Wednesdays who go, this isn't the Jesus that, that, that I've seen before. I told my testimony to someone the other day in the building who's blatantly and openly not a Christian. I was telling her about this authenticity thing in my heart. I was just sharing this. She has tears in her eyes. Why? Because everyone in the world is looking for something that's real. Because there's enough fake there's so much fake. You just have to get on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You want to find fake, you can find fake. Like, you know, like 
it's harder at this, we're in a point at this time where it's harder to find out what real news is as opposed to fake news. Like, there's so much of this and so little of this that we go, all I want is a piece of this. And when we start to just bleed that and just expose that, and I tell you, it's painful because it gives God permission to go. You know, you get out on a Sunday morning or you get off the live stream and you go, crushed it. And God goes, based on what? (laughs) Based on what? What are you measuring that on? If I walk out of here today, how do I know whether it's a good sermon or a bad sermon? Is it based on the smiles on your faces? Is it based on whether I feel like I completed my exercise ring? I'm halfway, for those of you interested. (laughs) And it's been a while. I've been sitting down for the last six. (laughs) But when we become more consumed with what's real and what's fake, and when we start to expose that, and when we start to go through that pain, you know, I'm convinced part of the reason that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of the reason that Bex is going through a refining process is because I decided to be vulnerable with my refining process. And the hope is that by Bex being vulnerable with her refining process, that you feel like you can enter into a, vul- uh, into a refining process. Why? Because vulnerability begets vulnerability. Wednesday night, we sat around tables in the building over there with the, with the forum, And we just sat in a big circle. We turned out all the lights and put a bunch of candles on the table. Not lit. Some of the young people thought we were having a seance, but we put them right. And I just said, all we're going to do tonight is tell stories about our lives. Be vulnerable. And when 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 you tell a story, no matter how big, how small, I just want you to light a candle and put it on the table. And so initially everyone sort of sits there. And then I think Bo, were you the first one that got up? And Bo shares a story. Not a super deep, I mean, it might have been for Bo, I don't want to diminish that at all, but it's not like he got up and bled his whole heart out, but he got up and he, and he, he moved towards vulnerability, and he lit a candle, and then someone else gets up and they move, and they, light it, they tell a story, and they light a candle, and then someone else goes, well, if they can do it, I can do it, and then if they can do it, I can do it, and then eventually, we get to this point where half of the room have confessed to some kind of sexual abuse in their life, and you go, how did we get here from Bo being afraid of heights? Why? Because vulnerability begets vulnerability. Authenticity begets authenticity. When we become real, the people will become real with us. When we become real as the church, because that is what people are crying out for. There's so much fake. All they want is something that's real. And we have it. You have it. This is not a rebuke. It's an invitation to go, will you refine with me? Will you take the next grit of sandpaper and begin to sand with me? To round off the edges. You know, I I heard someone a a week or so ago, not from this church, so you can all stop wondering, but I heard someone a week ago give a prophetic word to somebody else and say, God said to me that this is you're going to do this and you should do this and you should. And they went, oh, how did you know? And I was standing there going, because they were talking to the other person a week ago. I didn't say it. I just thought it really loudly in my heart. <laughs> but here's, that's one of the things for me that if we want to see authentic prophecy, we have to go, I'm not content with anything else. I don't want anything else. I want the real deal. I'm prepared to sacrifice. And that means we start getting uncomfortable with each other. We start challenging each other. You know, we start, oh, I really think God said, to, did he really though? And not to cast doubt over everything, right? 
The goal is not doubt. The goal is not condemnation. The goal is authenticity. Going, for me, I have to come to a place to go, was that God? Or was that just me trying to get what I wanted? And we're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. But the invitation is, let's sand it off. Because when we sand it off and when we go, God, the only thing we want on a Sunday morning is the true blue prophetic word of God. Guess what he'll do? He'll give you the true blue prophetic word of God. When we go, God, I'm not happy with anything unless it's you. Now, we don't get to judge what's him. Let me be very, you know, we test what's going on. But there are things that God will do in a room. I've been in rooms where I go, this doesn't feel right. And then I watch three people get saved and go, okay. Because God works in spite of you and in spite of me. How many people are glad that God works in spite of you, not because of you? Because <laughs> if it was because of me or it was because of you, we would be in bad luck, bad shape. But it's in spite of us. However, he still invites us to go, will you come a little deeper? Will you sand a little bit more? And the reality is, if we wanted to, we could sit here today and say, nah, it looks good already. You know that sanded thing that I did with my dad? I could, go, I could sell it. I could put that on a stand with all the others and nobody would probably tell the difference. If nobody stopped to look, you know, it looks all right. And we could sit here this morning and say, God, we're happy with where we are. We're happy with what we're doing. We're, and amen, we're doing good things. This isn't a beat up on the church. If I was going to go to church anywhere in town, this is where i go because I like it. Maybe I'm biased, but I like you people. I think it's fun. And, 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 you know, like, I've had opportunities and invitations to go other places, but I quite like it here. And I think this is where God wants me to be, and I think this is God, where God wants to do something significant and exciting and, and fun. You know? I know Sue's the same. Someone offered Sue a job, triple figures, six figures. And she went, nah, I'm good. You love that woman. <laughs> you make sure she knows we appreciate it. Because that'd be tempting. <laughs> it was only five dollars more than what we were paying her, but you know. <laughs> but when we go, I'm hungry for the authentic, and I want this, and I believe God has called me to this. When we do it, and when we do it authentically and genuinely and secretly, and not like, hey, everybody, we're going to be the authentic church, but we just start doing it. What we do secretly, God will reward openly. Are you with me? Are you excited? The best is yet to come. Can we all stand together? I want to pray for you as we conclude our time here this morning. Your children have been having a welcome back to Sunday school party today. I have no idea how much sugar that involves. Any puppies? Maybe. I don't know. Did you bring any goats in? You should bring a goat. Yeah, we should do that. You could sacrifice it.